Welcome to Takeaways, Life Lessons Learned. I'm your host, Hayam Mizrahi, recording from MDL Group, recognized market leaders in commercial real estate brokerage and property management in Las Vegas, Nevada. Join me as I explore my takeaways from the people who have influenced me the most. Let's get started. Welcome to Takeaways, everybody. Wow. I am here with a very, very, very special guest. I'm really excited. Thank you. Andy Borans. In the flesh. In the flesh. You are the executive director of Alpha Epsilon Pi, the Jewish fraternity. Yes. You were my first boss out of college. Terrific. And, um, and you well, were a great employee. Oh, thank you so much. We'll talk yeah. about that in more detail. Yes. You were the original foodie. <laughs> now it's a trend. You, pi- you pioneered it back then. Wow. You were a bingo savant. Wow. And you love Shiraz. You made me love Shiraz. <laughs> Excellent. And now I understand you've graduated beyond Shiraz. Yes. P- Pinot Noir, Malbec. It was my job to make the, uh, the uh, Shiraz stock rise in America. Did you own any stock? <laughs> <laughs> I wish I did. I wish I did. So the kind of guy you are, just so everybody knows, you come to town every uh, to Las Vegas every year about this time to celebrate your birthday. Yep. And I called you a week or two ago and said, you've got to come into my office and spend your precious time with me. And you said, of course, I'll do it. I don't know what I'm doing, but of course, I'll do it. So thank, thank you for being here. My pleasure. Spend a few minutes. Tell us more about yourself and what you do. Okay. Um, grew up in Boston, so you'll hear... A Boston accent every now and then. Family moved to Florida when I was 15. So uh, all my family went to Boston, different Boston colleges, Tufts, BU, Emerson. I ended up going to Florida State, which I loved, actually. It was great. And uh, literally, uh, immediately out of school, I started working for a pie. And that was 37 years ago. So no kidding. Long, what what month? Long time. Uh, started in September. In nineteen eighty. First place wow. I went to was uh, the University of Alabama, and found. Uh, I was uh, nine months old, by the way. <laughs> Sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> That's exactly right. And uh, found they were doing everything wrong. Had to fix them, and uh, went on in my career. Sorry, so you went to Alabama University, University to visit Alabama to visit a chapter of AEPI at the time. It was a colony at the time. A colony, doing okay. everything incorrectly. Had to fix it, and I went on from there. I remember my second place I went to was Vanderbilt, and, and they did everything perfectly. I they assume they did. Uh, they were okay. They, they, uh, they still needed a little help, but they were okay. And just for clarification, these are chapters of. College fraternities. These are AEPI chapters. AEPI is, as Hayam said, the Jewish fraternity. Uh, We are one of 74 fraternities. We're very large today. When I I started working for AEPI, we had 52 chapters. Today we have 192 chapters. And we were in just in America. And now we're in eight countries. And we had about 2,000 undergrads at that time, and today we have 12,000 undergrads. Wow. So we, we've grown sixfold 
uh, since all I started working. All because of you. Uh, I, I had it found out I had a knack for organizing and starting things, and that's what I did. I started uh, new colonies, the first year five, the second year 13, and then it kept roller coaster until now we're almost at 200. So we were the 45th largest fraternity out of 74. Now we're the ninth largest fraternity out of 74. So we've grown considerably. And we love it. That's incredible. So I want to talk more about that. And then we'll talk also more about when I worked for the fraternity. Sure. What kind of experiences you and I had together. This show is called Takeaways, and it's about my takeaways from the people who have influenced me in my life, and you're certainly one of those people. And what I like to do is just jump right in and ask you, what one thing or event or person has most influenced you in your life? Uh, I thought about that. Um, I would have to say uh, my grandparents. I, I'm a product of a uh, divorced family. Uh, when I was quite young, I was four, and we moved in uh, with our grand my grandparents, and they were much older. And uh, uh, one one of your questions also is is what uh, what what was different about me in high school that my friends didn't know in in college uh, and beyond, and that was I was raised by older people already uh, my grandfather was a police sergeant in 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 boston and um, their impact on me was dramatic so i was always uh, i was always older even though i was i was young Mm -hmm. i was always older i was always an adult in a 12 year old's body and that's just how i grew up and their morals and values stuck with me and that's that's who i am today were you close really with your point. grandmother? Very close, both of them, yes. And uh, they they had the largest impact on me. Now I'm still very close with my mother and my father, both alive um, and and doing well. But the grandparents, it was their their home, and that they had the largest effect on me. Uh, so I was always older before when I was a child. So that that really shaped my life more than anything. What were you like in college? Uh, I was uh, the uh, the go-to because I was I was the responsible one. Everybody was having fun, and I had fun too. But I I I kept uh, to the point where I was safe enough that I told everybody the next day how much fun they had because they, <laughs> because they didn't remember, but I remembered because I was there and I was the responsible one and I made sure people were safe and I took them home and I made sure nothing. They didn't get, uh, you know, fall off the roof or something stupid like that. So uh, in college, I had a great time. I was uh, in many positions within AEPI. I joined AEPI. I, I was a legacy. I didn't know it. My uncle was oh, AEPI wow. at Tufts. I had no idea till I was already in. And uh, I was treasurer, and I was rush chair, and pledge master, and all of those things that mm-hmm. basically revolve, for those, those terms for those listening, basically revolve around recruiting and uh and educating the recruits, and many of them today are, are very, very close friends of mine, uh, who I was their their pledge master. Uh, so uh, that was a great experience. And, and, and was right your first job? I was, was going to yeah, was your first job? 
mm-hmm. out of school yes. working for API? Yes. Just like me? Yes. Get out of here. Just so like there's still you? hope for me to be a wildly <laughs> successful person <laughs> like you. <laughs> I've done okay. So who hired you? Uh, what happened was the we have fraternities have regional conclaves or they're like a mini convention for an area. Okay. So the southeastern United States, our regional conclave was at Florida State in Tallahassee, which was a, a great location for the southern area, southeast area of, a, of the country. And the international president at the time called Supreme Master came up there for the weekend. And at the end of the weekend, uh, I ran it. I ran the conclave. He said to me, uh, you should be working for API. And uh, I got a phone call a couple days later from the then executive director saying I should look into uh, working for API. So that's what I did. His name is George uh, Toll? Sid Dunn. Sid Dunn. George what? Toll uh, was um, retired three years earlier. Uh-huh. Uh, he was my mentor, actually, in the fraternity. George was. Uh, but George had retired, and Sid Dunn had taken over for three years and was the actual director at the time. George was, uh, was my mentor uh, in many ways, and, and mostly of which was expansion and recruiting. He was the, the absolute uh, talk about savant. If he knew you, he knew you and your zip code. I mean, this is a guy that had an unbelievable memory. He went to Penn as an undergrad, became an attorney, never practiced uh, being an attorney, but he ran a pie for 37 years. Actually, I've, I've uh, beaten him now. I'm at 38 years. And yeah, have uh, you always had a good, because you have a, f- people who know you know that you have a freakish memory also. Yes. And I can give a story we talked a little <laughs> bit about uh, to, to give an example of what kind of a freakish memory. But did you have a good memory uh, naturally, or is that something that George influenced? Uh, no, did he I, I did. That? I did as a as a growing up. I, I I won the best math student in school in sixth grade. I, I have somewhat of a photographic memory, where I can I see something or I do something, and it's I remember it forever. So I just had it growing up, which which has aided me in my life very much. By yeah. The way. So and it's aided me also, and I'll tell <laughs> I'll tell the story now. So when I Worked for AEPI. It was uh, two thousand summer of two thousand and three, is when I, I graduated in May. I shipped out to Indianapolis, where the ca- where the I was going to say capital, where the headquarters is of AEPI, and we did some training there in the summer. And then we we went out. My my position was it's essentially a consultant. It's got a broader title now. Mm-hmm. Our field secretary is what it what it was. Yep. Now it's an educational and leadership consultant. That's right. And the job entails traveling around the country in a, in a given territory, uh, visiting the chapters, helping them with recruitment and organi- uh, organizing them in leadership, and then also, uh, it kind of in the off time going to universities where we don't have chapters and then starting one, and that was the job and the the professional dynamic that you and I embarked on. But the story. It was it was the dead of winter. I was staying with one of AEPI's best volunteers uh, in the Boston area. He always opened up his home for uh, the consultants, the field secretaries. There was a blizzard, and I'm a kid from Vegas. I'd never been in this kind of environment <laughs> before. They asked me when I got there if I had a proper winter coat, and I showed them my little zip-up windbreaker, and they laughed, and they took me to Filene's <laughs> bargain basement to buy something so I'd have a proper winter coat. 
These are the conditions you put me in to work <laughs> under Andy. But uh, so the blizzard, there was a blizzard. I was stuck in the house. Then it cleared up and I got to my next uh, place that I was supposed to go to. I want to say was Yale. And I got in the car. This was, you know, 2003, four, way, way before there was GPS in every single car. This was about the time where you what you would do is go on the dial up Internet and uh, download a, or print out a MapQuest directions on how to get where you're going. And I I'd realized I didn't do that. So here I am somewhere across the country and I'm on the freeway and I realize I don't know where the heck I'm going and I can't exactly just follow the signs. So what did I do? I called you in the office in Indianapolis. You're sitting probably in a warm, heated room with a nice sweater on. <laughs> and I said, Here, here's what happened, and I'm stuck. And you said, hey, tell, where are you? What exit are you on exactly? What freeway? And then you proceeded to dictate directions to me from Boston to Yale. New Haven, Connecticut. Yeah, yeah. so how far is that anyway? It's about two and a half hours. A two and a half hour drive. Yeah, almost three hours. How many freeways did I go through? Uh, you went on the Mass Pike. <laughs> and then you went on 84, and uh, then you went on uh, 91. That's right. And then you got to exit 3 on 91 and took a right on Spring <laughs> Street <laughs> and a, uh, a left on Main, and you found yourself at uh, Yale University. <laughs> I remember when you said Mass Pike now that I was, yeah. that's where I was. That's where I, I called you when I freaked out and panicked yeah. that I didn't know where the heck and I was And there was going. no cell phones back then. You had to stop somewhere. No, I no, 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 no. We did. You had a cell phone? We did have a cell phone. Oh, wow. I had an API uh, standard wow. issue. I think it was a Motorola. Maybe it was an, I don't remember. Size of a brick. You got, I'm so sure. there's two things that you did economically at the time. You would rent cars from Canada. Right. Because the, what was it, the conversion of the American? 50%. 50%. <laughs> You'd rent them on a long-term basis, That's so we'd right. have to go to Canada to get our rental cars. And then you, uh, I think the cell, no, the cell phone plans weren't from Canada. I'm trying to I remember if we, we had cell phones back then. I guess we did. Yeah, it must have been the very beginning of cell phones. Yeah. Because no, I definitely had a cell phone that you gave me because right? I, uh, I also had mine as well. So let's just jump kind of... Uh, you know, right into that. We can go back if you want to talk about how we met and you know our dynamic when I was an undergrad. Before I, I, I have a, I, I'm happy to tell you about that, and I have a story about you right, as well. And that's um, the first time I met you. I was very impressed with your drive and your leadership ability. You became president of the chapter. You worked. You uh, never a dull moment with you. You were, were never idle. Uh, that wasn't in your vocabulary at any time. You were you wanted to be a winner, and you are a winner. You were a winner, and you are a winner. But you you set out to do that, and uh, that's always been my my impression of you f since day one. Uh, the story I wanted to tell about you, which was great, I, which uh, by the way I tell the story all the time. Uh, we were at a convention, and uh, you were rising uh, a rising uh, senior. Mm -hmm. And uh, I had a meeting for all those interested in working for the fraternity for the future. And uh, generally, those were rising seniors uh, who would sit in the room, generally about 30 or so uh, people. And I, was, I would hire three or four of those 30 every year, and they would be the educational leadership consultants, the field secretaries, as you call them. So I had the meeting. Uh, you were sitting there amongst the uh, whole group of people in this function room in the hotel. And uh, at the end of the event, uh, I started walking towards our office area in the hotel. 
and you followed me. And uh, you said to me, how many uh, are you going to hire for next year? And I said, uh, four. I think I'll hire four. That'll be the, the right number. And you said to me, <laughs> I rem again, remember this like it was yesterday, you only need three. You only need to hire three. I said, well, what do you mean I only need to hire three? Because you said, because I'm one of them, meaning you. So I will be working for API, and you hire three others. I, I was so impressed with, with your motivation for doing that. No <laughs> one would have had the balls to, <laughs> to even, even to talk to me afterwards. Everybody was, was you know, very quiet, and, and nobody wanted to uh, say boo. You followed me out of the room and said, you only have to hire three because uh, I'm going to be one of them. I instantly at that moment had you hired in my head. That was the job I, interview? I, that was the job interview because anybody that could do that that would have that kind of drive and motivation, could walk up and speak to anyone about anything. And that's what sales is. Mm -hmm. Sales is, is, is having the confidence that number one, you know your product, number two, you can sell your product, and number three, everybody walks away happy. You walk away happy, the customer walks away happy. You knew all of those things at 21 years old. And that was extremely impressive. People don't know that till they're, till they're 50. They don't learn that. And you knew it at 21, so that was it. You were you were hired on the spot, and uh, I tell that story literally all the time. And by the way, since no one has done it, I tell it after the fact, after yeah. I hire people. Uh, but no one did that. Just you in, in my entire 38 year career. Just you. Thank you. Well, thank you for the kind comments before the story and and for the story. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well-deserved. And I know we don't have an incredible amount of time today, so I want to make the most out of what we have. Sure. Uh, and I'll tell you now something that you did for me. You may or may not know that you did this. And then we'll get into the takeaways, things that I've learned from you that I want to unpack a little bit and learn more about. When I was a rising sophomore uh, as an undergraduate, it was a, an incredibly looking back and even in it, maybe I you know, had that bravado of an 18, 19 year old where you, nothing can affect you and you're invincible, but it was one of the most difficult times in my life. My parents had split up for various reasons. Um, I think that was the one semester, I might've failed one or two classes um, that semester when that was going on. I say now, uh, if I didn't have the fraternity back then, I most likely would not have stayed in school and finished and gotten a degree. That's one of the benefits, I think, of uh, the Greek system on college campuses because you don't know what's going to happen. You have, a, you have a surrogate family with the fraternity, and that keeps you in school for sure. No question. That's why Greeks don't transfer. And, and that's the dirty little secret in college life that administrators know. When you join a fraternity, you stay, or sorority, you stay at that school. They don't transfer out. Because you have a family you right there at the campus. You have a whole family. Yeah. We used to drive, I remember, our chapter was in Tallahassee, Florida, 502 miles from Miami. And if you'd go home for the weekend, you were back at 7 o'clock on Sunday night for chapter meeting because you didn't want to miss it. And that's the family that you had. And nobody left. Nobody left. Nobody transferred out. It was, and the, the transfer rate amongst the, the, the population that wasn't Greek was enormous, but not Greeks. So you're 100% correct about that. So having that connection to the campus is one of the benefits. Another benefit for me was the exposure to leadership, but also the platform to exercise leadership really in a safe environment. And 
what you did for me um, in that time is you gave or granted a scholarship for me to come to an AEPI national convention. I think it was in New York or maybe New Jersey at the time. And I got to do that. I got to go with the chapter leaders, uh, the, um, the seniors at the time that were in my chapter, and I got to have some exposure. And I want to say thank you for that. Of all the things I thanked you for in our relationship, I don't think that one thing I did thank you for, and that could have changed a trajectory for me in my, my life. My pleasure, but I, I want to I want to uh, be very honest since we're on radio and only 50 million people are going to listen to this. So <laughs> um, it's, it's my job, it was my job and still is, to find future leadership types and bring them to our events, to expose them to the international fraternity so that, that they feel this level of confidence about uh, they're going to, fir first of all, they're going to learn more Secondly, they're going to understand that they're part of in the fold, meaning they have a, a, a direct line to, to the leaders, which was me at the time. And it gives you a confidence that we believe in you. Now you go out and, and conquer the world. So by taking leaders and bringing them to these events, everybody wins. You won, we won, and you went, went back to school more knowledgeable, back to, and back to your chapter more knowledgeable, and this feeling of confidence. So we pick out dozens of, of, of freshmen, especially, and sophomores, and we, we bring them to things. We also send them sometimes to other chapters. We do all kinds of events so that we want them to learn and see, and it gives them a leg up. And that's what you do. You nurture leaders, future leaders. I want to jump now into the specific takeaways that I've learned from you. Great. And let me paint this picture. So I just graduated. Uh, it was May. I knew that I was coming to Indianapolis. I think it was in July. Um, I had a, a lot of fun in between, as you can imagine, because I knew I had a job and I was shipping out here pretty quickly. But I had some time to have fun. But I get on the airplane. I get picked up at the airport. I get brought to the the time the fraternity had an apartment where all the consultants stayed and, and some of the other staff that was uh, mostly traveling. And I come to the office. It might have been day one or day two. And I sit uh, across from you at your desk with your little computer that you type with your two index fingers on. That's right. And there was a quote off uh, to the left of your monitor, I want to say. I'm going to read it to you, and I want to get your reaction. What, what does it mean to you? The best years of your life are the ones in which you decide your problems are your own. You do not blame them on your mother, the ecology, or the president. You realize that you control your own destiny. And that's a quote by Albert Ellis. Very good. Very, very good. It's on my desk today. Still. Yes, it's yellow and tattered. Oh, yeah. And there's a, a thousand little pieces of tape. It looks like a 50-year-old fortune cookie fortune. That's exactly right. Well, that's the truth, and I, I read that once, and I, I uh, retyped it out, and again, I, it's, it's taped to my, to my desk. Um, you know, people are born with, some with tremendous advantages, and peop some people are born with nothing. Most people are born somewhere in between. And they, they do well or don't do well, truthfully, based on their own motivation, their own work product, 
their own desire. Uh, if they don't know enough, they learn it. If they uh, know uh, everything, they realize they don't know everything. And most people don't, don't do that. They blame the world. It's, it's, I didn't come from a, a family that has enough money. I didn't, I went, didn't go to a great school. Uh, the, the, the dog ate my homework. Everything is against them. And they want to blame. They want to blame the government, or so they want to blame the, you know, the, uh, uh, the sun didn't come out today, and uh, uh, it's cloudy, so I don't feel so good. That's all ridiculous. The people that do well, and Haim, you did well because you wanted to do well. Not because of any external force, not because of, of, of uh, whether it was President Reagan or President Trump. You did well because you wanted to do well. And if why, we could why couldn't it be President people, Obama? <laughs> 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 uh, for the sake of being honest, I'm a Republican. Um, the uh, truth be told, uh, there's, there's no advantage or disadvantage that truly stops someone if they have the desire. But people, very few have the desire. Very few have the desire to, to be leaders. Most people are, you know, they're done at 5 o'clock and they're trying to get out at quarter of 5. And they go and pick up a video and a, and a, and a six-pack. And they could care less what happens if their place of work burns down that night. They'll find somewhere else. They have no desire to better themselves, take classes, meet new people. They just don't, which is really a shame. But uh, thank God many people do, and you're a shining example of somebody who at a young age decided they were going to be a winner and successful. You should know that flattery will get you everywhere. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, I, you just reminded me as you were talking another uh, Andy-ism when you say, I have it on good authority, the sun will rise tomorrow. That's correct. That's one of your things That's that I, I, I learned from you. I borrowed it maybe... <laughs> Several times. That's right. When, 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 all, when everything is down and people are, people <laughs> are ready to collapse, it's, uh, the sun will come out tomorrow. Don't worry. Yeah. Another thing, I think you gave it to me, um, right, th maybe it was the first day or second day also in your office, was a letter that you wrote to my mother. Mm -hmm. I, I looked for it because I kept a copy. I couldn't find it. Uh, essentially, I mean, you, uh, you probably remember it verbatim, I'm of guessing. Course. Yes. Uh, so... I'm not going to summarize it. What is it, what was in that letter, and why do you send letters like that? Um, I send letters to to parents of uh, probably a hundred brothers a year. Uh, you should, undergraduates, you should, undergraduates, yeah. yeah. And you should see uh, and hear. I get phone calls back. The parents are crying in the phone. They're so happy that someone would take the time to write about their son. And it's on letterhead, it's on official stationery, and it's a, it's, it's a letter saying about that, that your son is, is, a, is a winner. Your son has, has devoted himself to doing the right things. He's moral and ethical and, and uh, is, a, is accomplished. And, and many the parents are thrilled to receive that. First of all, it, when, when, the, when the son says, oh, I did well in this, I did well in that, they, they hear that, and that's nothing new. When a third party does it. When the executive director of No question. XYZ when the executive director of, of a 100,000-person organization puts it on letterhead, mm -hmm. sends it in the mail, and talks specifically not about the whole organization, but about just their son and their accomplishments, 
they feel like a million dollars. It's if I remember right, there was something in there. The brilliance to me, if I'm remembering the the language of the letter right, it's something mm-hmm. to the effect of, uh, you you don't always have the opportunity to hear about your child's accomplishment, your son's right. accomplishment, uh, or maybe they don't want to brag, but let me brag on their behalf. Uh, something to that extent, right? Uh, exactly to that extent. You remember it like it was uh, in front of you. That's exactly right. Kids, kids can talk about themselves, or if they even do brag about themselves, it, it doesn't as it falls on deaf ears with the parents, but that's, it's their kid. They, they, when a third party does it, and it's one thing if you say it, it's another thing if you put it in writing. Mm-hmm. You put it in writing and mail it to someone, they receive it. I have had parents frame it. They, they send me pictures of the letter in a frame because they're, they're so happy about it. It, 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 make, it doesn't make their day, it doesn't make their week, it doesn't make their month, it, it makes their year. And I'll tell you the other thing about this, all the money they spent in college, it, it validates mm-hmm. that their son actually learned leadership. And in the end, no matter what you know, you could have know a product down flat, you could know everything, you could be the greatest scientist. If you can't sell it and sell yourself, then it's it's useless. You have to go pay somebody to sell it for you. But uh, I, 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 I do that with parents because parents love to get that. And I don't send them gratuitously. It's only the people that deserve it. It's a perfect segue into what I want to talk with you about next, which is, you know, if there's someone came to me and said, hey, create a poster around around Andy. I would, I would do one of those. Everything you need to know about sales, you learn from the online system. That's right. Something to that effect. Or um, I would do something around the asses in the seat story. Uh-huh. So I want to talk about what is the online system and what what is or where did you come up with the asses in the seat story? Which one comes first, first of all? Is it the asses in the seats? The asses in the seats definitely comes first because that's a business school story. So tell me the story as if you were standing in front of 108 pies right now, and this is your moment to rile them up to go have the best rush year ever. Okay. So uh, the story comes from, uh, which is documented, Little little Mr. Lowe's, I call him, uh, uh, because it was Lowe's Entertainment, L-O-E-W-S, you know, the theater company. Little Mr. Lowe's... Uh, came up with the idea that uh, if, if you learn back from, from film days, films were in people's living rooms, and they were literally six, eight people would sit in chairs, and they'd be in a living room, and someone would hand crank a machine, and they'd shut the lights off and a little candle behind it, and it would be the uh, um, beginning of movies. Well, little Mr. Lowe's had the idea of theaters with hundreds of seats and the electric light behind it and, a, and, a, and an automatic camera. And he developed all of these things and put them into a big theater. What we know of theaters today is, is Lowe's that started it, which eventually was MGM, which Charles C. Moskowitz, by the way, our founder, became president of MGM. But little Mr. Lowe's had this idea about what to do. And what do you do when you have an idea? You consult consultants. You pay them and they, they so try to make your idea better. So he consulted uh, consultants and uh, 
they came up with amazing ideas. Uh, you can sell lemonade and you can sell hot dogs and, and popcorn. By the way, this is where popcorn became famous with an idea from a consultant. In, in theaters, popcorn became a famous thing. So they told him you have to sell all of these things and in his old Jewish accent from the old country, he, uh, which I, I don't do accents well, but he said, I'm not going to sell any popcorn or, or lemonade or whatever until I have asses in the seats, which, gentlemen, I would say to our, to our, our brothers, that's what sales is. Sales is asses in the seats. So for our recruitment, it doesn't matter whether if we have hot dogs, or if you have Heinz ketchup or some crap ketchup or no mustard, or you have the, the great drinks or the lousy drinks, whatever it is, if you don't have customers, if you don't have recruits. So for us, it's recruits for Rush. For a theater or a business, it's asses in the seats because you're not selling them anything if they're not there. That's what sales is. You have to be there. You have to get them there. You have to market. You have to advertise. Before you're going to sell anything, you have to have them in front of you. And that's what asses in the seat. So little Mr. Lowe's had the quote to these very high-priced uh, consultants, I'm not selling anything unless I have asses in the seats. And that's the essence of sales. That is the essence of sales. And because without asses in the seats, you, you're not, it, does, it doesn't matter. You can have the fanciest food, the, the most beautiful place, a great movie to show. But if they're not there, you have nothing. So in all of my life, it's always about asses in the seats that has stayed with me. And I and I when I recruit, when I uh, teach people how to recruit, that's what I talk about. That's what sales is, asses in the seats. I wish I came up with that quote. Believe me, it was. But it's Mr. Lowe's. And you go to business school, and you take MBA courses. They talk about little Mr. Lowe's and his asses in the seats. So it's pretty pretty famous. What line. you did come up with though is. Oh, the online system. The online system. So the online system is now when you th when years ago when I was growing up, you heard about online. Online was something that Henry Ford came up with with an a, an online product. Uh, you took a, a hunk of the assembly of line. Assembly line. You took yeah. up you took a bunch of steel, and at the end of the the building, it would you know go around and around and around. It came out a car. Mm -hmm. That was the old assembly line, the idea of a line. It was on the line. On the line. It was on, it was on this line that started. And, so it has and nothing to do with the Internet. It had nothing, to, had nothing to do with the Internet. And what happened was I took some legal pads. And what we did with recruitment years ago is you had a name here and a name there. And you put the name in your pocket. You put another name in a different pocket. And somebody else had another name, and it was in his pocket. And something fell out of my pocket, and I lost the name, which was terrible, because that kid could be turning to be the next president three years later. But it was a disorganized system of sales. And I said, there has to be a better way. There has to be a better way. And it was a two-part thing. One was all the names had to be in one place, right in front of you. And more importantly, besides the names, and you wouldn't lose the names because they're always there, is they had to be categorized not by my whim of where this person ended up on the list, mm -hmm. but the list had to be a hierarchy 
of interest in joining AEPI. So the top, the number ones had to be the top interested people, and number fives had to be the least interested or just a name as no, I call it. We don't it. know anything about it. Oh, we don't know anything about it. His name is Hayam Mizraki. He's a fart in the wind. He's in, he just came out of high school. I, don't, I put his name on the list. Have no idea whether he's interested or not. The number one on the list would be the, the president's brother, younger brother who's coming to school. Because you know and he's we joining. we know he's joining. Yeah. He's interested. So he would be a one and Hayam Mizrahi would be a five. But the secret sauce was they didn't go on the list based on where I felt their interest level is. But we got into the heads of, of them themselves and we placed them on the list of where we thought their level of interest was. How do you In do that? In other words, their, you, 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 every name that you had, you, you put a, a value, one, two, three, four, five, as to intel. You have to do intel. Sales is about intel. You have to work that name that name, no matter what we do, Haim Mizrahi, when he was going, going. So in. on the college campus, it looks like this. It's I know this kid. He's coming out of high school. I, you know, my aunt's. Uh, he was at the synagogue with my aunt, so she called me and gave me his name, said to look out for him. So there I put him go. on the list. He's a five, and then I go to the. I get the list with the from the dorm of the new freshman, and I see this this guys. Let's say it's Jared Katz, my partner. Right? Jared Katz lives over there in Beam Hall. Let's yeah. go knock on his door. I knock on his door. I meet him. I learn that he's from Phoenix and he just moved here and uh, he was an AZA, which is a, a Jewish youth group. Right. And now he's a four because I have some information. And, and then I go. say, hey, Jared, you know what? We have this thing going on down over at the Hillel. We've got hot dogs with Hunt's ketchup and crap ketchup and mustard, too. And we have good <laughs> drinks, not crappy drinks. So why don't you come see us? And he comes and he meets some more of the brothers and he connects with another guy who likes cars and maybe this guy who likes uh, the Cardinals. Extremely and now different. he says, this is uh, pretty interesting. And maybe he says to somebody, yeah, well, are you guys having another one? I'd like to come to another uh, event. So now he's a three. That's correct. Now we know he has some interest. And we move them up the list based on their level of interest. So now we know what to talk about with them. We know because we have also a section on our online list, which, again, not online, but it is a piece of paper that has now in the in the same assembly line format that Henry Ford, mm. a, a great anti-Semite, by the way, <laughs> sadly, um, the starting at five, which is the lowest rung, which is the same as a hunk of metal, and ending up a car, which is number one. Well, with us, number one is a pledge, is a recruit, is a is someone that said yes to us. I want to join. So all on the way from five to four to three to two to one. We move him up based on his level of interest. But we now know we can, because of where we, have, where we started as a five, we need to do a lot of work with him to get him to come to our first event. Then we need to know what to say. We also put our best rushers on people who are fives because they, have, they, have, they have the need the most amount of help um, to, to get them to a one. But if someone who's already a two because he's a legacy or he's someone, someone who we've seen uh, he was president of his of his AZA class a chapter, and uh, we know he's predisposed to joining. He's a joiner by nature. Then we're going to put him in as a as a four or a three, and we have to do a little bit less work with him. So we're working smarter, not harder. And you're working together. Oh, we're working together because everybody in the everybody in the chapter knows what one, two, three, four, five is. 
and we and we constantly are moving these people up, and we get a new name, a fart in the wind. Mm-hmm. Some name, some kid gives us a name of somebody we have no idea. They immediately go in as a five. So we don't lose anybody. Years ago, we lost people, but the names went and nowhere. This is how now you go from two thousand to twelve thousand to twelve thousand. And by the way, I've had so many uh, uh, undergrads now, brothers, tell me they have actually employed. The online system for their business, so I'll tell you their family's yeah. business. They, uh, the, the, the other day, literally the other day, uh, a kid in sales, his family in sales, it was, I instituted the online system in my family's business, and we've doubled in literally six months because they were now organized, and they put their customers in in different categories instead of all customers being equal. By the way, all customers are not equal. All recruits for a fraternity are not equal. So you were the uh, pioneer of being a foodie, and you were the pioneer of using a CRM, a client relationship manager, in your business. I was going to tell you, I think it was 2012, uh, there was an undergraduate here at AEPI at UNLV who asked to come see me. He wanted some advice about what to do within the chapter, and the discussion about recruitment came up, and he said, oh, we're going to have a great year, 15 recruits, which we got when I was there all those years ago in 2003. It should be much, much more now, in my opinion. And I was giving him this talk about the asses in the seats and the online and are you doing this? No. Why not? Long story short, I turned my monitor around. It was in my office. I was at a previous company to this one. It was a global commercial real estate company, top five brand in the world. I turned my monitor around and on my Excel sheet was my online list of these are my, my leads and these are the leads that I call on and this is how I move them up, how I keep them organized. And he was blown away this undergraduate and i want to segue into another thing that you've you've said over the years uh you you know you go from chapter to chapter when i went to uh, kansas state was one of the ones i went to first and then i drove across the country and i got to go to i got to pop in on on mit and i got to um hang out with the guys at uh brandeis and then boston college so you get a flavor, and then I went up into Canada. I went to Montreal and University of Toronto, and then back down to University of Michigan. So you get a picture of the lay of of the ground that I covered myself. You cover the entire country, Canada, and now a few places overseas. And you always get the same stuff when you show up. You get the the chapter president and the vice president and everyone. You you tell them these are the things you need to do to be successful, and then they say to you. No, no, Haim. No, no, Andy. You don't understand. <laughs> it's different here. It's different here. <laughs> what do you oh, say to that? Oh, I love that. Well, I, I, I tell them my favorite story, which is, of course, 100% true. Everything I've said, these, everything happens exactly the way I've said it. Um, but this one I particularly like. Um, uh, I had started Carnegie Mellon uh, Colony. And Carnegie Mellon, they're very, very smart kids. Uh, they had, uh, it's uh, mostly an engineer, engineering school. And I started the Founding Fathers. We had 18 Founding Fathers. And now it comes time for our first rush, to rush the alpha class, the beginning. So the, the Founding Fathers were the beginning guys. And now we have to go and get new ones. So we elect a rush chairman. And it's his job to administer the online system and to be in charge of recruits. And uh, I gave him all of the, uh, the system we had, the online system, and all of the same discussions you've just heard. And he looks at me deadpan and says, uh, well, it's, uh, 
that's not going to work. It's different here. And I said, really? It's different here? He said, yeah, oh, we have a different way, and we have a different timing, and a different this. Oh, really? So um, now, I, we're still doing recruiting now, yes. And there's still males, 18-year-old males, yeah, humans, yeah. Uh, so I said, um, why don't we were, we were in his, his dorm. I said, why don't you follow me? And uh, sure, he said, so we walk into the hallway. And I said, uh, wh where's, the, where's the men's room? Well, he points to the men's room. <laughs> and uh, don't get nervous about the story here. Um, and he points to the men's room. And we walk into the men's room. And I, uh, I said, here, I'm taking my hand. And I'm like, come on, follow me. And uh, we all go to a stall. And we, I take the, my hand and I open the door of the stall. And he's getting a little nervous. And I said, come on, come on, come on. Let's come in, come in. So let's stick your head in there. And uh, he stuck his head in, and I said, uh, read the walls here on the, the stall. Read the walls on the, on the, the wall, the, 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 uh, the whole walls. And, um, of course, there was the usual stuff there, uh, the raunchy stuff, the sexual stuff, all of the same stuff. And I said, I said, Alan, his name was Alan. I said, Alan, <laughs> by the way, you see what you're reading here? The same stuff is on the walls in the men's room at UCLA, at the University of Chicago, at the University of Texas, at the University of Florida, and everywhere in between. You know why, Alan? Because people are people. They are the same. You may have a little bit different process, you may have a little bit different time frame, but the reason that people join fraternities is the same as at Carnegie Mellon as it is everywhere else. Because people want to get together with like and similar types. That's what recruitment is. That's what, that's what the sales part you're doing. The same, same sales techniques that you would employ here are the same sales techniques at Berkeley and the same sales techniques at Kansas and everywhere else because as I hammer home, people are people and that's no different. There's a human need to get together and a human need for people to want to, to get together and, and, and make friends of like and similar type, which is what a fraternity is, which is what a club is. And by the way, there's also a human need to write these things <laughs> on the walls in bathrooms. So if anybody tells you that it's different here, it's not different here. It's the same here. It may be a little bit smarter, and they spell the words <laughs> more correctly <laughs> at Carnegie Mellon than the spelling at Fakakta State, okay, which they don't spell the words so well at Fakakta State. But at Carnegie Mellon, they do spell the words right, but it's the same words. Are kids different today than they were in the 80s or early 2000s when I was at university? There is a little bit different, uh, which sadly is a little bit to the negative, and that is they are more insular now because they are uh, they're li less social. And, and the less social part is they are married to their, their cell phones, and they're 
they're married to the their computer and the internet. When they, they go back to their dorm room, instead of going and walking the halls, instead of seeing people, instead of socializing, they're in front of a computer for three hours. And then when they leave the computer and they're walking to class, they're, they're tripping over things because they're, they're looking at their phone. And then they're in class and they're spending less time listening and interacting with the other students and the professor because they're on their phone. So this has not helped um, socializing for people. Um, now, people still, still date each other and they still get married and the, and the world still turns, but there is less socializing now than there was. And that's a shame. That really is a shame. Do you feel like, so you've been doing this for almost 40 years and you have, uh, I don't want to, you know, intimate experiences with youth yes. on the college campus for 40 years. Yes. Do you feel like this trend will continue or will the pendulum swing the other way? Um, I, I'm hopeful that, that it might swing the other way, but I'm, I'm, I'm not encouraged. Now, now the next step is, People are, are, are going to have on their watch. They're going to have their, their computer on their watch. And, and there's no reason for them to, to, to go out and, and, and talk to people and see people. They see everything they want on their, on their, on their computer or soon to be on their watch, on their wrist. It's, um, it's not a good trend. Um, again, the world still turns. The sun will rise tomorrow. Um, and there is that human need, thank God. Uh, and people are still people, um, but it is there's less social interaction, and as a result, there's a little less friendliness going on that that people had to used to have to work at it and 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 become social animals. Uh, they don't have to as much, um, and that's that's not a good thing for the world. Uh, again, it it it, it uh, people likely will become more private and spend less time with people as the world goes on. Not, not a good sign. Um, but who knows what will happen in 50 years from now. Maybe uh, everything will be some chip in people's heads and they will, it's, since it's there all the time, uh, they won't have to have it have to look at their phone or their watch or their computer it'll be in their head so maybe that'll save them so much time that they'll actually start to go out and socialize i hope that's the case well i know we're a little tight on time and i think we're there andy i want to thank you so much for my, my pleasure for coming in and doing this it's been fun for me hopefully it's been fun for you where are you going from here um actually uh i have a whole bunch of staff i i uh uh, do something every year, if you remember, because you lived here, so it was not for you not as much of a of a thrill. But every year, I take my staff to Las Vegas on me, and put them up. Uh, they're all at the uh, Flamingo now, actually, and uh, we're going for dinner tonight. My Where? Birth, my birthday dinner Lowry's? to Lowry's, of course, yes, of course. And uh, so they're they're having a good time gaming and uh, whatever else they're doing at the at uh, the Flamingo. Uh, so that's my annual trek here and, and bringing my staff. And uh, so that's tonight. And then I leave tomorrow and I'm going to Israel. Okay. Visit, we have six chapters in Israel. I'm visiting them. On the way back, I'm stopping in England. We have eight chapters now in England. Wow. Yeah, the, uh, 
it's uh, one more plug I'll put in for, for our, our, our little Jewish fraternity, which, which is not so little anymore. By uh, the way, you've been saying that since 2004. Yes, yes. Uh, it, there's a, it's a little bit uh, of a rough time out there. Thing, anti-Semitism is the worst I've seen it in my adult life and even growing up. It, it is, things are, are sort of tough out there. And in Europe, they're significantly worse than they are in America. But there is a higher degree of anti-Semitism. Uh, the BDS thing, it's, it's bad. And uh, it's, it's, it's not the 1930s, the late 30s at, at this point, but it is very difficult. And our, our thank God AAPI is on the front line and, and our, our brothers are rising to the occasion, promoting Israel and protecting Israel. And, and sometimes that means skirmishes. And uh, we've had some, some rough times, but our, our AAPI brothers uh, rise to the occasion and they're doing wonderful things on campus, and uh, we need to. We really need to. And again, I want to thank you. This has been a trip down memory lane, which has been wonderful for me. And uh, you've been a, 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 a great brother and great friend since, since literally the time I met you. So uh, uh, stay well, brother. Thank you. And you've been also incredible. You're, you're always willing to do stuff like this. You've been uh, not only a mentor, but, but a friend as well. So thank you, and thank you for your dedication, dedicating your life, essentially, to Alpha Epsilon Pi fraternity. So that's it. Andy Borans, appreciate you coming in. Thank you, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you for listening. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. Takeaways Podcast is about sharing and paying it forward. If you like this show, please make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast and leave us a review. It really goes a long way. And if you really like the show, please share takeaways with a friend. Thank you and tune in next time.